Christ is not for fully formed saints. It's for people who are growing. And growing, sometimes there's growing pains. Somebody asked me recently, said, Daniel, as a pastor, don't you just get discouraged by people struggling? I'm like, no, I'm encouraged when people struggle. Because I don't expect anybody to show up in church all together. And I'm grateful that no one expects me to show up all together. It's comforting to know that you're not alone. And it's even a bigger deal to know that you're loved, flaws and all. Well, today, Pastor Daniel continues this look at questions you have about homosexuality in the Bible. He reminds you the church is filled with people who are in process. No one has it all together. We all need God's grace and forgiveness all the time. With this in mind, Pastor Daniel urges you to welcome in and love others who are struggling, even if you don't understand that struggle personally. Here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 1 as he continues his message, Homosexuality and the Bible. I have a lot of friends who are homosexual. And I know a lot of people who say, remember how when you hit puberty, you were just attracted to gals? Yep, I remember that. Well, I've always been attracted to people of the same sex. Now, for most of us, you think to yourself, well, it can't be that simple. But for a lot of people, it is. So the reason we think it's the worst type of the worst type of sin is because we think sexual sins are the biggest, right? And because homosexuality for the vast majority of us is complete like, hey, I love you, but not like that, bro, you know? Because we can't identify with it, we're repulsed by it. But does God give us the authority to categorize sin. No. The reality is all sexual sin is the same. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against the other person. It's a sin against yourself and your own body. So at best, at best, we can only categorize homosexuality just the way we categorize heterosexual sexual immorality. Guys looking at porn, it's just as bad. Guys straight on their marriage, having sexual content outside of marriage, All the lusts of the heart, they're all the same. They are sins against God, ourselves, our partner, and our bodies. All of them, across the board. So before we start elevating certain sins because they're not our own and decreasing other sins because they are ours, let's let Jesus level the playing field. Sin is sin. The murderer, the impure of heart, the person with homosexual tendencies and the person with heterosexual sexual immorality all need Jesus. Together. We come together in need of saving. So with that being the case, homosexuality, like all other sins, is covered by the blood of Jesus when faith is expressed and repentance is displayed. Can I get an amen? Homosexuality, like all other sins, is covered by the blood of Jesus when faith is expressed and repentance is displayed. 
Now, do you believe that? I hope so, because that is the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, if you turn and believe in Jesus and turn as best as you can from the way that you're living and repent and say, God, I'm going to follow you, that you are accepted. Now, does that mean that we all, the moment we repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're never tempted by things again? No. So we should not expect it to be true for people who are struggling with homosexuality who are in our midst. I have sat down with hundreds of guys, guys who love Jesus, who are struggling with sexual purity, and they come and say, Pastor Daniel, I am broken by my sin. I am working on it. I'm struggling. And I say, listen, you just keep going. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. When you get saved, your temptation doesn't leave. You just have the witness of the Holy Spirit to help you fight that battle. And so if you're in here today and you are struggling with all sorts of sexual temptation, financial improprieties, all these things that we all struggle with, just being proud, you come to Jesus, you receive forgiveness, and God works at that. And some days you have good days and some days you have bad days, right? If you're in here today and you struggle with homosexual tendencies, listen, it's going to be the same for you. You're going to be seeking God. You're going to be seeking to follow him. You're going to have some good days and you're going to have some bad days. But your sin is not worse than the person next to you. All of our sin is the same, forgivable by Jesus, as God is in the process of working our hearts out. We need to give people the same grace, even if their sin is something we don't understand. Because God is gracious. Would to God that Crossroads would be the type of church that someone can come to who is convicted of the sinfulness of their same-sex attractions and they can come here and they could be embraced by this body even though they're not going to have every good day because none of us do. And the one person in here who thinks, I always have a good day, we all know that you're struggling because you don't realize where you're falling short. See, The church of Jesus Christ is not for fully formed saints. It's for people who are growing. And growing, sometimes there's growing pains. Somebody asked me recently, said, Daniel, as a pastor, don't you just get discouraged by people struggling? I'm like, no, I'm encouraged when people struggle. Because I don't expect anybody to show up in church altogether. And I'm grateful that no one expects me to show up altogether. I'm in process You're in process. God is working on our lives. Some days we have good days. Other days we have bad days. And in the end of it, God's grace covers us. And so we need to be the type of people who walk with people in their struggles because doesn't people walk with you in your struggles? People walk with me in mine. Just because we don't understand or can't identify with their struggle doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to work through it just like everybody else. So the reality is that homosexuality is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not the only unpardonable sin. When faith is expressed in Jesus and repentance is displayed, salvation happens. That's what happens. And so people say, can somebody who is homosexual go to heaven? And I would say, absolutely. Just the way a prideful person can go to heaven and an adulterer can go to heaven. Now, there is a difference, because I have to qualify that, there is a difference between repenting and struggling and being in willful rebellion. 
If someone comes to me, they believe in Jesus, they're having an affair, and they say, look, I believe in Jesus, and I just don't care. I'm straying on my marriage. I'd say, look, you're in a really precarious position. You are in willful rebellion against the almighty God. That is not somewhere you want to be. If somebody comes and says, look, I made a terrible mistake. I'm broken before Jesus. I say, man, praise God for his grace. God wants to do a deep work in your life. So if somebody is willfully in rebellion against God, no matter what their sin is, I'm concerned for them. And if somebody is struggling, fighting, some days getting beat up, you know, as they say, some days you're the bug and some days you're the windshield. (laughs) You guys, you know this? In all of our struggles with temptation, some day, you know, listen, like, I got to be careful. I'm all Italian. It's like, my DNA is to be as tall as I am wide. <laughs> that is in, like, you know, when you're all Italian, it's like, that's just in your DNA. And like, some days it's like, I am hanging out at five guys with two double cheeseburgers. <laughs> and a large fry with that zesty seasoning on it. And then other days I'm eating like a Bill Ritchie salad sandwich, you know? <laughs> Some days we're trying to keep my waist nice and thin. I'm the bug and some days I'm the windshield. And some days I'm in Melinda's office eating Reese's peanut butter cups, you know. But in the end of the day, in the end of the day, and I bring some levity to this, but in the end of the day, as long as we're fighting the battle as best we know how, we don't sin that grace may abound. But when you're on the path struggling, against the natural tendencies of your heart. That's the only place to be. And we never leave that road. That's the narrow gate, the difficult way. That's the way that leads to life. And for you who find it, it's not neat. It's not pretty, but it gets the job done. And that's true for all of us, no matter what our besetting sins are. So from there, our approach to homosexuality should include bedside matter, compassion, and understanding. Our approach to homosexuality should include bedside manner, compassion, and understanding. I want to unpack these. Why bedside manner? Think about what bedside manner is. The difference between a good doctor and a bad doctor, other than if they have the same information, is how they approach you with a hard truth. I remember when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And the oncologist came in and he could have been like, look, you got cancer everywhere. You're dead in three months. Can you imagine a doctor like that? Some of you have had doctors like that. See, or the doctor come and say, listen, are you sitting down? Listen, I have some really hard news to tell you. In all the testings we did, we found that you have cancer in multiple locations and we're gonna try and treat you, but we just don't know how it's gonna go. And the best I can give you is maybe three months but you're gonna have three months with your family to get your affairs in order. They're giving you the same truth. The only difference is is that one of those doctors actually cares about you as a human being. That's what bedside manner is. It's giving the same information, but actually caring about the person you're talking to. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. You have to realize that when you are talking to somebody, who is either a homosexual or who believes that homosexuality is a problem, that you're going to share with them a hard truth. And I pray that we are not brutal with our truth, but we temper our truth-telling with love. I said it before, I'll say it again. John Stott, love without truth is hypocrisy. 
Truth without love is brutality. Most Christians in evangelical churches, when it comes to homosexuality, it's truth without love. Because we actually don't love homosexuals. And that's a problem, because God does. God loves people. Doesn't love what we do, God loves people. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's the other side of the coin. There's all sorts of Christians, not necessarily evangelical Christians, who want to, God is loving. So we don't think homosexuality is bad because love is love and love is good. That's hypocrisy. Not all ways humans try to express love is actually good. So first, we need to have bedside manner. We're telling a hard truth. Let's affirm people as humans. Let's care about them the way God does. Second, with compassion. With compassion. I think of Jesus in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in the act of adultery. That woman was caught red-handed in the act. And Jesus was moved with compassion for her. He protected her. He told her to go and sin no more, but he didn't condemn her. Compassion is the ability to be able to empathize with somebody else's struggle. And we need compassion. Most people do not believe Christians are compassionate, but God is radically compassionate. We need to be compassionate. And then third, we need to be understanding. I think about Proverbs 18, verse 2. It says, a, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. This point came to me very powerfully a couple years ago. I was at a meeting of ministers in San Francisco, and one of the guys got up to share, and he said, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a homosexual, and I'm a Christian. And he said to me, telling this group of pastors, he's like, I have always had attractions to men. And when I moved to San Francisco, obviously I started living in that. Me and my boyfriend started going to a church. A church had to make a decision whether it was going to be an affirming or a non-affirming church, which means they're either going to accept homosexual relations as non-sinful or they're going to say it's sinful. And the church sat down, they searched the scriptures, and they said, we can't accept homosexuality as a God-honoring lifestyle. The Bible won't let us. And he said, and I was totally dismayed. I had a great boyfriend, but we loved the church. So I went and I talked to the pastor and I said to him, listen, you know, I've been here with my boyfriend for three years and, you know, this decision is really hard, but how are we supposed to do this? And what this man proceeded to say in this meeting absolutely floored me. He said this, he said, what heterosexuals do not understand about telling somebody who has same-sex attraction that they can't do that. It's not just about sex. You are limiting them from every opportunity to have an interpersonal close relationship. Who's going to give me Christmas presents? Who am I going to talk to in the middle of the night when I'm sad? How am I going to get to watch children grow? And this man said, honestly, floored, he said this, the only way I've been able to abstain from my Leaning my orientation for the last 10 years is because my church, a family in my church, took me into their home, let me live, and they let me be an uncle to their kids. And he said, and there was like horror in the room. And then he said, right now, a lot of you guys are horrified because you think, who would put a homosexual in a house with little kids? As if every homosexual is a pedophile. I mean, tears are starting to flow out of all these pastors' eyes. 
And he said, this family invited me into their home so that I could have real relationships, not be leading an accepting community, homosexuality, and then ushered into a non-accepting community, but invited into their family so that when he was having a bad night, there was someone to talk to. He was able to give presents to little kids and be a part of their lives. He was able to then have normal human interactions on a familial level. He says, when you tell a homosexual that they cannot engage in that, you are limiting them from all familial relationships that are substantial. And I thought to myself, I never would have thought of that in a million years. And he said, I want to encourage you to encourage your people. If people are coming out of that community and they're getting saved, you need to usher them into homes where they can be part of a family. Because if you leave them isolated, they will most often stray back into a community that says, do whatever you want to do. So for you and I, my challenge to all of us is maybe we need to make the bed in the guest room. For people who are leaving the community of homosexuality, wanting to honor God, but also, like all of us, passionately wanting close relationships, friendships, family. We need to have understanding. Now, I have two things to say quickly at the end. First, it's important to discuss this issue and not argue about it. It's important to discuss this issue and not argue about it. Brothers and sisters, listen. We call ourselves by the name of Jesus. And oftentimes, many of us blow our witness because we just don't know how to talk to people. Everything's an argument. Everything's, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm... And it's a terrible witness. It's a terrible witness. It has nothing to do with Jesus and has everything to do with you. And what do we call things that have everything to do with me and nothing to do with Jesus? Sin. That's what we call that. And Jesus needed to die on a cross to forgive us for our lack of ability to have a discussion. So we need to be able to discuss this issue and not argue about it. And finally, as it relates to same-sex unions... Crossroads is a Christian church, not a Republican or a Democratic one. Crossroads is a Christian church, not a Republican or a Democratic one. I realize that some of you are passionate about politics. Actually, let's be, we're all passionate about it on some level. You do not want to make this pulpit a political one. Because when you force your pastors, to make it political, it can't be gospel-saturated. Not saying that we're ever going to shy away from addressing politics, but this is not a political platform. This is a platform for people to hear the name of Jesus. And guess what? There are saved Republicans, and there are saved Democrats, and there are saved Independents, and there are saved Ron Paulians, and there are saved Green Party people, because Jesus is not in a convention. Jesus is not in a niche group. He is the Lord of all. With that being said, as a church, we fundamentally oppose any redefinition of marriage. As a church, we fundamentally oppose any redefinition of marriage. Why? Because marriage was a biblical concept long before it was an American political concept. Okay? Now, what that means, hold on, because I'm going to probably offend everybody on some level with the next statement. So before you get excited, how 
our Christian beliefs play in the public square is something that's hotly debated. In the end of the day, everybody brings their faith-based beliefs to lawmaking. Everybody does. Whether it's traditional religious beliefs like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, or whatever, or whether it's non-traditional faith-based beliefs like secularism or enlightenment thinking. Everybody brings it to the public square. Now, this is my contention. I am opposed to the redefinition of marriage because marriage is a biblical concept before it was an American concept. But I realize there's going to be a large spread of beliefs on how people who are of same-sex orientation should attain rights in America. Now, I realize that's radically, for some of you, that's offensive. But the Bible doesn't tell me how my beliefs are supposed to be made into laws. So what I would say to you is this, with the issue of same-sex unions, you need to search the scriptures, you need to pray, you need to vote based on your own conscience. Because I believe that Jesus breaks down the divide between Republican and Democrat. Between pro-same-sex unions and anti-same-sex unions. Between how we view the poor, how we view debt. God does not live in a party. He is the true and living God who saves all who come to him. Now, I'm sorry if that's offensive, but the rights of people who hold something that we don't agree with, that's for the government to decide and us as voters to vote on it. But I realize there's gonna be a spread of people, even in this congregation, traditionally very conservative. There's gonna be a spread of views on that. And we should be able to talk about it to express it, to understand it, like all things, to work it out, and to be able to disagree with one another on the outcome and still do it in love. As a church, we oppose any redefinition of marriage because that's biblical. How laws get made, that's going to be between the Bible, the Spirit of God, you, and the way you choose to vote. And guess what? We'll never ask you who you vote for when you walk in the door. That's between you and God, not between you and us. Because we don't really believe, we don't believe ultimately in the president or the Congress. We believe in Jesus despite everybody because that's the gospel. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel wrapped up this teaching on homosexuality by urging you to be willing to really talk to people about this subject without arguing. He encouraged you to lay down your pride and anger and truly listen. You were reminded that constantly arguing over issues like this one destroys your ability to share God's love with others and just pushes them away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D 
to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel addresses questions about your personal freedoms as a follower of God. You'll discover that living in freedom is all about learning how to get along with other Christians, even though you may disagree based on conscience or personal preference. No matter the issue, it's important to remember that it's not about doing the same thing as everyone else, but keeping your conscience clear before God. That's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.